The Stage Door Show. Celebrating the independent artist. Hosted by Dave Hondell. Hey, this is Justin Emmer from Love in a Third Aid, and you're listening to Dave Hondell with The Stage Door Show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Stage Door Show tonight. This is Dave Hondell. I am super excited tonight because we have Justin Emmert from the band Love in a 38, uh, an L.A.-based uh, hard rock band that is taking the world by storm right now with their music. Uh, let's bring him in right now. Justin, how you doing? Doing good. Thanks for having me. Man, I'm so excited to have you on. You know, not only are you the bassist for that uh, rock band, Love in a 38, but you're also a, a music uh, advocate for education, uh, which I'm. it really hits home with me. Um, you know, I have, I have a son that's under the autism spectrum, and uh, music and theater and, and the arts really helped him get uh, through a lot of tough times in his life. And uh, so I, I have a great respect for the kind of work that you guys do. So uh, I just want to kind of start with that, if you if you don't mind. You know, I know you have a lot of uh, organizations that you work with. So let's talk about some of the some of those organizations right now. Yeah, sure. So um, I've been working with the NAM Foundation. Uh, for those that don't know, NAM is a music trade organization. They have a big trade show every year out here in Anaheim. And then they have a summer show out in Nashville, and uh, they've been doing the music education game for a very long time, uh, and it's great. They have a board of directors that's you know a bunch of different people from Taylor Guitars, Yamaha Music, a bunch of people like that, and they're all just really passionate people about music education and funding and making sure that the schools across the country have the resources and everything they need. Uh, to be able to have programs in their schools, because obviously it's really important for the whole music industry for kids to be educated and, you know, whether it's just a hobby or something that, you know, someone like me had a music program in school and then that led to a career. Uh, So music education overall is just really, really important for the different avenues that could open up for people. Um, Do you see, you know, I I know it it probably varies from you know, cities and states to states, but, you know, do you see, you know, where budgets have to get cut? I mean, a lot of times, and I've talked about this on several of my podcasts, but uh, unfortunately, um, you know, arts education, music education is one of the first to get cut um, out of the schools. And, you know, they're they're typically, sports would be the last thing to get cut, but um, music education, you know, unfortunately gets cut a lot. And uh, have you seen a, a shift in that? Uh, has it has it gotten to the point where it's it, it needs more advocacy groups like you or, or, or people like you to kind of push that? Or do you, you find it's getting better out there uh, in our schools and, um, you know, our clubs out there that, that are into music? So the thing that's really uh, a blessing for me with groups like NAM, uh, NAM is an international organization and their grassroots music education uh, program they have their initiative is obviously solely based here in the United States uh, and with so many different companies based in different cities and different states uh, we have representation for a lot of different states and so we have different trips that we take each year Um, I've been to Sacramento uh, every spring for the past four years except for this year because of uh, the whole pandemic 
but I've also been to Washington, D.C. to do the same type of advocacy work at the federal level. Uh, and it definitely varies depending on what state you're in. Obviously, a state like California uh, that has so much of its economy based in entertainment, all the politicians, they, they get it, they know. Uh, so conversations, even at the federal level, are usually fairly simple and easy and straightforward because they understand just the economic impact that kids learning music and venturing into those career paths when they're older does for the state. Uh, some states, maybe in the Midwest, uh, I, I've heard from other people that, you know, maybe like Wisconsin or Indiana, uh, people over there aren't as keen on that. So there's definitely certain states that require more work and more effort for educating our elected yeah. officials to let them know what the problem is and just how important music education is for a well-rounded education to help a kid, you know, learn discipline, learn overcoming challenges, obstacles, uh, social interactions, you know, all those things that take place in a music room really do have larger ripple effects in someone's life, in their quality of life in the future. So, you know, there's certain states that have more of an uphill battle than others. Uh, obviously, being in Los Angeles, my representatives know it. Uh, so conversations with them are usually very low-key, very mellow. Uh, like I said, I've been doing this for a couple of years, so the politicians know me when I come into the room because I'm sure you can imagine there's not a lot of long hair dudes with nose rings going into uh, the, the state capitol. So when they see me, they're like, oh, the music education guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, David Byrne from Talking Heads, you know, recently did an interview where not only everything that you mentioned so eloquently was, is true, um, but also besides all that, uh, test scores are usually higher with kids that are in the arts or music um, because of the, the type of... Uh, you know, I guess parts of their brain that they use to learn music and notes and, and that all that type of thing. So, you know, test scores, I believe, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, actually are higher with kids that are in the arts. Oh, absolutely. They are absolutely higher. Uh, you know, you figure, you know, there's quarter notes, eighth notes, sixteenth notes. There's a lot of math, time signatures. There's a lot of math going on in music. So when you have to take SATs or things like that, your brain's already like in that, that realm. Uh, so yeah, it's, there's, totally like so many different studies that have been done on exactly that and that's usually the type of material that we bring uh to washington or to sacramento to let people know uh just how important it is for kids to have that experience and exposure yeah no that's that's great and you know kudos to you and and all of your colleagues that do that um you know we need more people like you out there um fighting for you know rights or for the uh for the arts and the schools and you know and even now with the pandemic you know a lot of a lot of schooling is done online you know and, and that's one thing that can be done online you know music lessons and and uh, art that type of thing so that's great so uh you know keep up the good work on that sports are usually the forefront of extracurricular activities with schools but you know got to keep six feet away from each other so you know, football, baseball, volleyball, any of those sports that you have in school, those are kind of obsolete right now. So what we're really hoping is that while sports can't be a thing, I mean, even at the professional level, you know, NBA, MLB, like everything's shut down right now. Um, but it's not as hard to put kids six feet away in an auditorium with their instruments and play. Uh, so we're really hoping that this pandemic, as much of an uphill battle as it's going to be, especially when we go back, 
next year for our fly-ins in D.C. and Sacramento. Uh, it is going to be an uphill battle because schools are definitely getting cut right now with the pandemic. But we're hoping that in like this whole world that we're in right now, currently with all the shutdowns and stuff, that when school resumes next year, that there might be an increase in funding because sports can't really exist in the world we're in right now. But music and art can thrive. Absolutely. No, well said. Well said. Uh, how did your interest start in music? You know, what, what, how old were you, I guess, when you started, you know, getting interested in, in uh, you know, playing an instrument? And then also, when did you start becoming interested in playing the bass? Sure. Uh, so I had a couple of swing and misses when I was a kid. Uh, I did like the Yamaha School of Music thing when I was maybe four or five, the big purple book. Uh, and I can still remember having a very competent understanding of music like i could read music and play but the passion wasn't there because i was just too young i i wanted to play super mario and you know go outside and play sports and you know do other things uh, so my interest wasn't really with music uh, but i tried piano and then i lived in a condo when i was a kid so there was a guy in the building that was a guitar player and a guitar teacher uh, so my parents got me this three-quarter size nylon string acoustic and he taught me that and again i understood how to play uh but it wasn't until my school got a music teacher in fourth grade judy talby uh my parents pulled me out of recess put me into music like you're doing this uh so i had a very different way and in introduction into music like i was the one fighting my parents not to play because i didn't want to i wanted to play kickball and be out in recess but my parents were like no like sports music like it's all part of being a kid like you gotta do this uh, so they put me in music lessons and the third time around it, it stuck and it stuck hard. Uh, so I immediately joined the band. So I was doing concert music. Uh, and I basically did that from fourth grade until 12th grade. Uh, and throughout that, I learned guitar in seventh grade. I picked up guitar and then a couple years later, um, is when I picked up bass. So I think I was probably around 11th grade. Uh, that actually picked up a bass, and that was kind of out, out of necessity. There was a bass player at school, and she didn't really know how to read music, but there was a lot of chord charts, so she was just going from, like, a G to a D to a B. And because I had already started on piano, my left hand was already doing some stuff while I was, like, comping with chords on my right. So I started kind of writing her bass lines to make things more interesting. And finally, I was like, you know what? No, like, I'm taking this. So I, I kind of just, like, committed a mutiny in high school, and took over the bass position and at that point i was already kind of starting to to write my own music uh and that was actually because i saw the trans-siberian orchestra at madison square garden uh and yeah. i just you know i i grew up in the 90s so it was you know especially i, I was born in 87 so by the time i was like mm -hmm. aware of what music was like it was a lot of you know the boy bands of the 90s i was like this is garbage <laughs> my dad was really into classic rock uh so he always had the classic rock station on when we were driving around taking me to school. And I heard the Beatles one day. It was Twist and Shout. And I was just like, whoa, like, what's this? He's like, do you like the Beatles? I was like, is this the Beatles? He's like, yeah, I like, I like the Beatles. Show me more of this. And, you know, he had the vinyls. So he pulled them out and showed me more. And that kind of, like, edged me towards classic rock, the 60s and 70s stuff. Uh, but growing up in the 90s, there wasn't, like, much theatrics or real musicianship going on 
so when I found Trans-Siberian Orchestra, I was just like, what is this? Like, the violin player has, like, a flamethrower. Fire is turning green. Like, I was just like, I don't know what's going on. It was such a sensory overload for a high schooler. Uh, just to see all that pyro and the scissor lifts and all this stuff going on. And then, obviously, the musicians were just incredible guys, too. Um, Alex Skolnick from Testament was playing guitar with them on that tour. Uh, so it was just like, wait, the guy from Testament is in this band? Like, this is so much cooler than it even was. Uh, and so I just doubled down on music when I got home from New York that year and uh, basically just started writing my own music. And then shortly after that is when I actually picked up the bass. So it was kind of already a necessity because I just couldn't find the right players uh, to actually put something together in high school. Like, you know, the high school garage band uh, that everyone has. I didn't have that luxury because I couldn't find people that were into the oldies. Uh, so I kind of just had to force my own path on my own. And so when I picked up a bass, I was like, oh, this is perfect. I, I need a bass player. And now I'm, I'm my own. Uh, and shortly after I got out of high school, I started trying to, like, get bands together and, like, gig and, you know, play the Viper Room, the Key Club when that was around. And I still couldn't find guys. So I was still, like, in the mindset that I was a guitar player. Uh, and then I started putting out a couple of ads that I was a bass player. And it was like, you know, your relationship status on Facebook changing from inner relationship to single. It was just like the floodgates open. It was like, okay, too many dudes, too many guys one at a time let me see what you're all about uh <laughs> so it was kind of like a move that i made for survival and i just really haven't looked back since yeah i mean you know and just talk about you know talking about forming bands i mean uh love in a 38 you know from what i understand you guys all came from other parts of the country and kind of converged on la and form this band and you know talk about talk about that and now i mean just the relationship you guys all have i mean you guys are are really blowing up so talk about that um formation of the of love in a 38 yeah so i am actually uh second generation love in a 38 uh there was an original bass player before me uh, his name was daniel and the band was actually put together by uh this guy krishna he was the original guitar player and danny who was our original drummer the two of them got together and they were both from Northern California. They came to LA, you know, following the path of countless bands. Uh, and they kind of just started putting out as MySpace was a thing back then. Uh, they came across, gosh, countless, countless guys that have actually auditioned for the position of singer in Love and 38. So it's kind of funny to see like the, the rogues gallery of uh, who might have been. Um, but they found <laughs> Ryan and. Uh, they quickly bonded and forged their own little thing. They found Daniel, and they, there was even a second guitar player at one point in the band early on. Uh, but they all kind of had this passion and love for hard rock and guitar heroes. Uh, so they kind of started forging this sound of like a modern take on the guitar heroes of the 70s. Uh, so there was a lot of ACDC and Guns N' Roses influence in the early days. And it kind of evolved into the same DNA nowadays. Uh, we're just a little bit more on the bluesy side of things. There's a lot more Rolling Stones and Aerosmith influence than, you know, maybe some of the harder, faster driving type of songs that we had back, back on like the first EP when like Rock and Lola was a thing. Um, but we ended up finding our new, our, well, new, he's been in the band for eight years. Uh, Domo actually <laughs> came from another band that actually used to play with Love in the 38, uh, back in the day. So when... Our guitar player quit. He came in uh, just because we always did shows with him. Uh, he was actually at my first show uh, before he joined. 
because he had a night off from his band and they were friends with Love in the 38. Uh, so he was kind of always around the band because we were just friends and did shows together. Um, so we pulled him from that band and yeah, that's pretty much been, been the story. I'm actually the one that's from Los Angeles that lives in Los Angeles. Uh, I found two more that are from Los Angeles. So I know there's like 10 more people in LA that I need to find. And then I found everyone that lives in LA that was actually born here. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, because, you know, I, I lived in Florida for eight years and I don't think anybody ever was, you know, anybody I knew was actually from Florida. I think LA is the same thing. So, yeah, it's a very transient state. It is. Um, <laughs> um, the other thing I was going to ask you, I mean, you know, we kind of talked about this before we went on the air, but, you know, as far as indie bands go, I mean, you know, being an independent artist of any kind, and that's what we promote on our show, uh, it's, you know, obviously it's a challenge to, you know, to, uh, you know, to kind of, to make it in the industry when you're, you do it yourself, but you guys have kind of proven that you can do it as an indie band. And it's a really, it's a real inspiration, I think for the, for our listeners. Uh, so kind of talk about that and talk about, you know, I would like to talk about the business end of, of, of music and, you know, being a good, uh, you know, marketer, a good, you know, uh, uh, spokesperson a good ambassador for you know not only for your band but also for the for the genre of music that you're representing and kind of talk about the business end of things and, and what you guys do to kind of promote yourself and you know maybe words of advice for some of our uh, listeners out there all right well the first piece of advice i would give is that there's no substitution for a good hustle no one's gonna hustle harder for you than yourself so keep going until you get the right deal um we've been offered countless record deals and they've just all been wrong um you know we would be bankrupt within a month of signing any of these deals uh we took on we would take on all the risk and the label would take on all the reward and that's just not worth it that's not the type of deal you want to sign you want your your label your agent your manager all those people around you they need to be in your corner and if they're not from the get-go they never will be uh, which is why we stay DIY. Uh, you know, we could have signed our lives away, but we'd probably all be homeless living on a street because we would be in debt to whoever it was uh, because they just wanted another notch on their belt and we just weren't going to be that. We know our worth. We know what our music's like. We know what people feel when they hear our music or they see us live. And we're just not going to sell ourselves short just to be signed. That's not enough these days. So unless you're in our corner, you know, we're not going to sign. We're not going to just sign uh so that's yeah. the first piece of advice i would give um second you got to divide and conquer there's a lot of responsibilities when you're a diy band whether it's social media email blast for your newsletter uh sponsorships booking shows there's a lot of stuff that falls on an artist when you're trying to do that uh so dividing and conquering figuring out where people's strengths are and assigning them roles you know it's a small business so you know there's an owner there's you know all these other cogs that fit together to make the engine run. And so you just got to put all the right gears in place to get that engine running. Yeah, I mean, that, that's well said. You know, and I think it can go back to even the Goo Goo Dolls in the 90s where uh, they were multi-platinum and, and uh, you know, they were on tour and they were basically living out of their cars because of the deal they signed. So I think it's it's a very, uh, you know, I, I think that's great advice uh, and everybody that's listening should listen to that because, 
you know, don't sign a bad deal. Don't sign a deal just because, you know, it, they, they can make you famous. Being famous doesn't pay your bills. Uh, and exactly. you know, be an independent artist, right? And so to be, be a, an independent artist, you know, it's it's okay to be a dependent artist. Th- think about now where uh, the streaming that, you know, even when you were coming up and, you know, you said you were in the 90s, you were, uh, you know, kind of raised in the 90s. And back then you, you had maybe MySpace, which you t- we talked about, but, you know, it's nothing like today where you have Spotify and Apple Music and everything else that you can put your music on and it streams to the world, you know, and it's just a matter of how you market yourself. And I think that, you know, people can do be D- D- a DIY, um, you know, uh, bands. It's just a matter of how you're going to market yourself and you do it the right way. I think the it's it's limitless really where you can go with it, right? Yeah. And for us, like, we've always just been a very rock and roll band. Like, we don't try and, you know, beat around the bush and be like, no, like, we're an alt band. Like, we're no, we're, we're rock and roll. Like, through and through, we are rock and roll. And that's a flag we've always carried. And that goes a long way with people. Like when you're just real and authentic with people, like you don't hide who you are, people latch onto that because they see how real it is. Uh, You know, we all love the music that we write and play and the music we listen to that gets transferred into the stuff that we write. Uh, So I think that comes across and that's helped give us the success that we've had. Uh, You know, rock and roll, I mean, even like metal fans, uh, there's just something so raw about a high energy show where there's just like passion being sweat and bled on the stage and when that gets pushed out to an audience and they take it and they throw it right back at you there's just this cyclical feeding and feasting of energy between audience and band and there's just there's nothing like that you know edm doesn't really have that like people go to edm shows and it's it's just it's a different vibe and yeah. the rawness of real instruments and real musicians on the stage giving it 110% for an hour, hour 45, you know, arena shows that are two, three hours long. There's just something special about that. And no matter what genre is popular now, rock and roll can't die because the fans won't let it. Yeah. And with the pandemic, you know, things are going to change, obviously, when when things get back to quote unquote normal, which I don't think it ever will be. But if we get, you know, anything near that, you know, when we go back to shows again, I mean, do you anticipate a change and how that's going to look, you know, with with all everything that's going on right now? I mean, have you guys kind of discussed that or just into the industry as a whole? Do you think it's going to change? Yeah, it's it's tough because you we we don't really know when the end is going to be, when venues are going to reopen. Um, I'm a big sports guy. Um, Yankees all the way, Bronx Bombers. Um, and <laughs> I've been following what's been going on with the MLB uh, because they're trying to figure out how they're going to reopen and get their teams back on the field. Uh, and what I've been hearing is, you know, there's no spitting, there's no shouting, there's no yelling because they just don't want anything transferred from a mouth any further than normal breathing would allow. So it's going to be weird to see what a concert experience is going to be like. Uh, The one good thing that we have going on right now is because technology is what it is. uh, You know, there's tons of bands out there. I know the singer of Trivium, Matt, he twitch streams from his studio like any day that he's not on tour. So there's some bands that just aren't really even changing what they're doing because they've already been set up to do, you know, live streams and, you know, hangouts with their fans. Because that's just a way that they do things. They like to play video games. So, you know, they got Twitch accounts and stuff. Uh, We've been doing tons of live streams. Uh, You know, whether it's 
just a hangout to talk to people, let them know that we still exist. Uh, Ryan, our singer, he actually went to a studio and did this thing because there's a, there's a group called Locked In Live here in Los Angeles. And they've been broadcasting from the studio that they built with like this giant LED screen. So they've been trying to do like in-house concerts to give bands that are local. I mean, even artists, they've had DJs, they've had singers, songwriters go in. Uh, so we're also really fortunate that things have happened in a time like this, where there's still some survivability, where bands can still create, they can still broadcast to their fans so that there's still some type of interaction. Uh, and I think it's also not only important for the artist, but I think it's also important for just the community as a whole. Uh, when you can't go to a movie theater and you can't really go out for a walk more than 20 minutes, uh, beaches are closed and everything else is gone, it's good that bands can be there to be a source of entertainment and de-stressing and just give people an escape for, you know, Instagram has an hour bracket before they kick you off the live stream. So like for an hour, someone can just sit and watch a band and just get immersed in the music and, you know, forget about the virus for an hour. Uh, so I think that's really important that people be able to have that outlet for their creativity and also for the, you know, the therapeutic aspect of music for someone to listen in and, and watch a live stream. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. And, you know, it's like it, it, it's it's uh, allowing people to be more creative. And, you know, I, I think that this pandemic, as bad as it is, obviously, there's, there's really not much good at all. But what good what good can come of this is is people being uh, creative or, or creative people being more creative about their art and like you said you know there's there's so many different ways that people can push their their music out or their art out and you know through all the different formats so i think you're right you know i think we all need that you know whether it's a comedian you know doing a set on you know facebook live or whether it's you know a musician playing the guitar um, you know uh, putting something out or a singer i think i think that it is it's a wonderful thing to be able to to still perform in you know the, the day and age when there's social media and there's you know facebook live and and any anything else people want to put stuff out so i think you're absolutely right and we all do need that you know talking about some of your songs you know i, I know that uh, i'm a big fan to be honest with you i, I you know since since I, I, you know, started looking at uh, your stuff uh, a few weeks ago, I mean, I, I become a huge fan, and and I'm pushing your stuff out to a lot of my friends that are hard rock fans like myself. Um, you know, but you know, the the video, oh my God, was was amazing. Rock and Lola, uh, hold on. You know, talk about some of your favorite um, songs that you like to play with the band and when when you're performing. Oh man, that's that's a tough one. Uh, I feel like honestly, it's such a lame answer. Uh, like. Any set that we do, it doesn't matter. Like we, we did, we were in Canada last summer. We played three hour sets and wow. I didn't have like a three minute section of any set where I was like, whatever. Like I just, I enjoy the music we play and the music we write. So like, I'm honestly happy right. playing anything in our set. Um, we got some really cool stuff coming out soon that we uh, we were actually recording right before the pandemic happened. Uh, so we've been going over mixes and stuff during this time. Uh, I really like some of the new stuff we've got. It's really just bluesy, stomping, you know, George Thorogood on steroids type of stuff, where it's just like, it's music that you want to drink or fight to, you know? That's, that's kind of like where it is. Like, these songs belong in bars everywhere. Um, but honestly, just any of the stuff we write just got a really fun energy that just, it makes you want to move.
it's all amazing and that's kind of up my alley anyway I just I grew up in you know you grew up in the 90s I grew up in the 80s but I grew up on uh, you know hard rock you know and and you know we just recently had Joel Hoekstron and he's with White Snake but I was a huge White Snake fan growing up so the fact that yeah, man, it's Ryan Samarian Orchestra. I mean, he's been with everybody. He was with Night Ranger for several years as well. And I just grew up listening to all those bands and, uh, you know, just Bon Jovi and everything. Uh, you know, so anyway, I really enjoyed uh, hard rock music. So when I started listening to your stuff, I mean, like you said, you do have a little bit of a Rolling Stones, Aerosmith kind of vibe. And I love that because I'm a huge fan of both those bands as well. Um, and matter of fact, uh, I was I was at uh, Avatar Studios in New York City. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Uh, but it's right in Midtown, and right before I was I was there doing a session, I was doing a music video for uh, an artist, and right before we were there, uh, uh, Mick Jagger had just left uh, the, the the soundboard. Um, you know, they 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 just left their session before we got in, and I was just like, I can't believe I'm sitting at this soundboard. <laughs> Right now, oh, that's that's that, awesome. Mick Jagger was just mixing something. It was just amazing. So yeah, no, I'm a huge fan. Uh, like I said, of your music, and uh, you know, I, I just I, I I implore everybody to check out Love in a 38 because the the music is amazing. Uh, you know, Justin, you're an amazing bass player. Um, and you know, let's talk about your your social media. How can people find you on social media? Yeah, so I can actually make it even easier than that. If you go to our official website, which is loveandat38music.com. It has hyperlinks to everything. So if you're more of a Facebook person, it's got a hyperlink to our Facebook page. If you like Twitter or Instagram, our links are right there as well. And you can stream and purchase our music off of the homepage as well. So it's the one-stop shop for everything. Does it have updates? I mean, you said you have some new music coming out. Is Are there updates on your website as well when, when people can find that? Yeah, when we get everything set and figure out our release dates and everything, we will be updating. We'll update on all of our social media pages, but we'll also put a, a little splash image on the uh, the homepage to let people know when to expect our, our new music. That's awesome. And, you know, Justin, I can't thank you enough for, for joining uh, my show tonight. And, uh, you know, again, uh, what you do uh, for music education is amazing. Uh, you know, just kudos to you and, and all of your colleagues that, that uh, fight for uh, music education out there. Like I said, it's very close to home with me. And, uh, you know, anything I can do on my show to push anything that you're doing, you know, please let me know. Because, um, like I said, we, that's what we're all about is, is pushing the indie artists and also music education. So anything I can do on my end, you know, I'm happy to do that. I appreciate that very much. All right, Justin. Uh, well, I hope you have, uh, you know, stay safe out there in L.A. And, and I can't wait to hear your new music. And again, thank you for joining my show tonight. Thank you. We'll talk soon.